When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Outkick 360 is back. Welcome to the new week, week number three here across the Outkick Network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jacob Swanson, David Reed, the chairman of the board, making the show happen for us. Big show today. A lot of reaction coming your way for the NCAA tournament. Vanderbilt with a big facilities announcement we'll have in the Tennessee hour, in hour number two of the broadcast today. Plus, Indiana hires a new coach. Paul has thoughts on the U.S. men's national team and the Olympics and much more. You can follow the show at Outkick360 on Twitter. That's how you can interact. We'll be, of course, uh, reading tweets and reaction on Facebook and YouTube, where we hope you'll subscribe or share the show throughout the show today. Uh, You can also retweet at Outkick360 and at Outkick uh, and help us grow the show as we are now on show number 11. Gentlemen, good morning. It took me, this is the start of week number three on the show, took me all the way to Monday of week three to repeat a shirt uh, that I'm wearing on camera. So this was the day one shirt behind me. If you're watching on video right now, you can see Uh the picture of us toasting. Oh, there it is. In that shirt. I see you guys are both wearing different shirts than that day. (laughs) I, Uh, I for one, am very proud of myself that it took me this long through 10 cycles to get to a, a second shirt. Is a that the shirt, shirt that inspired this? Uh... That is not the shirt that inspired that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if Chad actually owns a shirt that looks That's like why a, I a knew. I'm pretty sure that Prince William that inspired that, <laughs> that uh, hairline. There was a lot of debate about this bobblehead shirt and the hairline, but I'm, I'm avoiding the hairline. I, I remember you saying you didn't have that shirt, so I thought it might have been an interpretation of that shirt. Speaking of Prince William... People magazine named Prince William the sexiest bald man alive. He's not that bald. I, I think you got to go to the end. You Ed think Harris this is bald discrimination and yeah, that people who are truly bald need to be on this list? Yes. Well, yeah. Balding doesn't full, count. Yes, he's bald but doesn't want to admit that he's bald. Right. Yeah, that's true. People magazine did that for him. That's I'm not, I'm not, he's they went ahead and admitted that he's bald. Yeah. He not, just hasn't come to grips I'm with it. I've not repeated yet. a shirt yet. Prince Harry planted that. Yes. No, <laughs> a good friend of Chad's will take issue with this shirt and do a Google image search on me and when I've worn this shirt <laughs> or a similar shirt to it. He's been blocked by me because it's so bleeping annoying. But I'm sure he'll comment to you. So he's a fashion Someone police the, because a, he's so stylish. A fashionista? Yeah, he's so stylish. <laughs> so don't, don't talk big, about Paul's shirts. That's what we've learned here big pod, to start the big, show. Big podcast network. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about college basketball over the weekend? Um, not, I mean, not thrilling matchups top to bottom. But it was thrilling to watch Chad nearly win his parlay. I, I was terrible with mine. My blood bank guarantee, not good. <laughs> not good for the family. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, Chad nearly pulled off his, if not for Alabama yesterday, and then the day prior would have been which team? Syracuse. Syracuse. Really yeah. let me down. So I was thinking about this the whole time. Is it 
worse in a three-game parlay? And we give our parlays every, uh, every Friday on the show. Is it worse to lose the first one and have no suspense the rest of the day? Or get really excited going into the oh. late night game where you have one oh. alive. Well, you totally want to go to the And then it goes downhill game. quickly. You totally want to go to the last game. You want to go to the last shot of the last game. Well, Syracuse let me down. I was looking yeah. good up until uh, Syracuse. I'll, I'll, I'll say this, watching basketball over the weekend, if you do not love this Gonzaga team, you hate basketball. I, I saw this sentiment online where someone uh, was saying that they hated this Gonzaga team. Oh. And I'm thinking, wow. how could you possibly watch this team? They are so much fun. G- guys of different backgrounds. A-, a guy who transfers in, a former five-star from Ontario, who goes to Florida for high school, goes to the University of Florida. The team has to vote on whether or not they're going to allow a five-star join their group <laughs> to not mess up Was the chemistry Nimbus? that they had. And Andrew Nimhart. He comes in. Uh, he has, I think, 17 in the game and, and just gets along perfectly with these players. If you love basketball, you're going to love watching Gonzaga play. Hopefully you've already been watching them. If not, now is the time. You've got three games left, I think, with Gonzaga this season. Uh, This is one of my favorite teams of all time. I think back to the early 90s UNLV teams. I have zero attachment to UNLV, yet Anderson Hunt to this day is still one of my favorite college basketball players. You want to talk about talent, and I think people automatically will say, well, this Gonzaga team maybe isn't as talented as great Duke teams or Kentucky teams. That's true in terms of sheer NBA players. But But keep in mind, Gonzaga, they got three first-round picks in that starting five and two possible lottery picks in Kispert and Jalen Suggs. This team is very, very talented. They're stacked with NBA talent as well. They're very, very talented, but I will say that's the most uh, most I've had, most chance that I've had to see USC. And USC is damn good. And I think USC can give them a game. I mean, you're going to get a game now the rest of the way, right? Um, USC uh, is really something to behold uh, also. And I think they can, they can uh, contest some of the things that Gonzaga does. And I expect that to be, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking at a double-digit game there. I'm looking at, at some hardy competition. What, what's interesting for me out of the Sweet 16 weekend, guys, is Gonzaga's going to put up 80 to 90 points per game. And I, I've said that from the start. You, they are the chiefs of college basketball. Kansas City known for putting on up offense defensively. Can, can you hold them to 24 points, and can your offense do enough to win the game? For Gonzaga, they're going to put up 80 to 90, and can you match that offensively? We saw a lot of 50 and 60-point games this past weekend where know. teams are not doing much as far as putting the, the basketball in the hoop. Meanwhile, Gonzaga continues to do that. So if you're going to go shoot 22% from three, you have no chance of beating this team. None. And you're going to have to have one of the hottest nights you've had in years to, I think, advance past Gonzaga at all throughout this tournament. Well, I I wonder if any of these really good defensive teams that are left can even suffocate Gonzaga for a long enough stretch to where you can muck up the game. And I I still feel like I watch Gonzaga and I, I just think, it's going to take Gonzaga having a really bad shooting night because they're going to get shots. They're going to get the shots they want. I don't see any defense that's left stopping Gonzaga from getting the shots they want, so it's going to take an unusually bad shooting night for them to lose. 
The other thing, and going back to your point, Chad, and I agree with you on if you don't like this Gonzaga team, what's wrong with you? Uh, I, I They play a style and a pace where if you're not following college basketball on a month-to-month basis throughout the season, if you're not a big fan of college basketball in general, but you get up for the tournament, the number one overall seed can draw you in with their style of play, even if you haven't watched a game all year, because of how they make – it's just so effortless with how they go about – scoring points and playing good defense. Uh, it's not a struggle with them. And they're up and down, pushing the pace. You know, they, they played Wisconsin and Villanova, uh, Baylor did, and that style uh, really hampered Baylor's overall offense. Yeah. Um, Gonzaga, I think, is the opposite. They can play any style that they're paired with. And now, Baylor's still advancing, too. But to me, that's the difference between the two teams and the number one seeds right now. Yeah, and it's um, you, you watch Loyola. You know, is a good example of a team that defensively can can smother you. By the way, how about speaking of uh, Pac-12 teams? You mentioned USC. How about Oregon State? Yeah, we need to hit so on them and, the, and the run they're on right now. I'm, I, I said it on Friday. I'm not betting against them again. Smart. Uh, I'm looking money line. Hutton and uh, I Oregon lost, State over Houston, getting to the Final Four. They they certainly seem like a team of destiny now. Um, but yeah, it's just. So the NBA influence on college basketball, I think, yep. is, is, is one that uh, this goes into another story with Mike Woodson being hired at Indiana, bringing a guy who's never coached in college that's an Indiana grad. You see it working with Juwan Howard at Michigan. Uh, hasn't really worked with Patrick Ewing. Certainly did not work with Chris Mullen at St. John's. Certainly isn't working with Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt right now. But when you bring in someone with that offensive NBA-style background, that it's all about getting shots up quickly, scoring as many points as possible. In the NBA, you're also working with six seconds less on a shot clock, so that dictates how quickly you got to get a shot up also. But is that influence on the game, are we going to see more and more of that with a guy like Mike Woodson in Indiana? I think you see a lot of it with Mark Few and Gonzaga and how they space things out and the way things open up for them. And it's a team that there's just no bad shots taken. right? They're so unselfish. It's weird because they all have the green light. So you would think that, I think with Bruce Pearl team, sometimes they take really bad shots because they have the green light. Now those bad shots sometimes are going to fall because they're not afraid of taking a bad shot because their coach isn't going to get on them, and I think that, that benefits you at times. But Gonzaga, they have the green light, but they're still not taking bad shots. And the right. way they shoot it, there's no bad shot on the team. right? Corey Kispert is a 91% free throw shooter, a 42% three-point shooter, and 50% from the field at six foot eight. There's not a bad shot in his repertoire that he's going to take in a game. They're, they're great to watch. I want to go to the team that we, I think, as a consensus, thought was the second best team coming into the weekend, Alabama. And that was a fun game to watch, but I disagree with the consensus that it was the best game of the tournament for two reasons. And it was the real... Uh, first like buzzer moment that we saw in the tournament, wasn't it? With a, with a three-pointer to force overtime, which was a terrific shot. And I want to debate the lack of foul up three coming down for UCLA, which could have forced a, a two-shot foul up three. But I have a hard time calling it the best game of the tournament when one of the teams is missing 14 free throws along the way two of eight down in the last seven minutes. That's not good basketball, so it doesn't lend itself to a good game, though it may have lent itself to, uh, to proximity. 
And then when it's a double-digit blowout in overtime, it's no longer a good game anymore. It might have been a good game getting to overtime, but you got to look at the entire body of work, right, for the game. And I never call in a game that's a double-digit result the best game of the tournament. Well, a game that goes to overtime in the tournament is among the best games in the tournament, period. He had a buzzer, buzzer tying three. Uh, that qualifies as March Madness uh, among the top it games was good, we've seen. But then it was completely uh, anticlimactic. The other one that comes there. to mind is Florida uh, taking on Oral Roberts in the first round. Ohio State. Ohio, Ohio State, State the, excuse the, me. The, that's that's yeah. the one that immediately the jumped to mind throws. for me. That's, that was the best game because it was in the early games of the first well, day. Well, that wouldn't qualify for you either because excitement. It, no, he know, made, it, well, he made the two free throws at the end, right? Yeah, it, it was close throughout overtime of that one, too. So the overtime was closer. Um, I, yeah, I don't think Alabama-UCLA was the best game. I'll tell you what was going to be the best game, if the buzzer beater would have fallen, was Oral Roberts-Arkansas. And he missed that the night shot. Before. That was a great game down the good. stretch, and that was a really good yeah. look. That shot felt For good three that would have won it at the buzzer down that two. That, that was a really good game. That was the best. I mean, that was the only buzzer beater of the tournament, though. And I was angry at Alabama because I, I, everybody had Alabama. Everybody, I did. I think you did as part of a parlay, and, and I thought they were the second best team. And UCLA is really good. How um, I was thrilled Alabama lost. Quite frankly, yeah. I, they deserve to lose. Uh, you know, the, you the miss that many free throws, you're, you're going to lose. And I don't think anyone's going to feel sorry for Alabama fans uh, who have all the success in football that any fan could ever want no, in I a lifetime that. over the last 15 years. And then to have a basketball team that's dropped in their lap that wasn't expected to do this, <laughs> to go this far, and to be this good, I don't think anyone's going to shed Nance tears for Alabama. Game? Was that Nance on that game? Last Wh- night? Whoever it was on that game said, it Cronin, was, it was, Cronin absolutely believes in fouling up three. And then they didn't foul up three. And it really, he got away with one. Then a post game, he said, I was just afraid of them heaving something up and getting three shots. Well, you know, you got to be... Obviously, you have to smart foul. There. It was not Jim Nance. It was Jim Spinarkle, whoever and he's Iron with. Eagle. Iron and Iron Eagle. And Iron Eagle. Yeah. I think Iron Eagle said it. And Cronin said after the game, I, I do believe in that, but I'm just afraid of them throwing something up and getting three shots for throwing something up. But, I mean, your guys have to be smart enough to commit a foul that's, that a guy's not throwing something up, you know, near midcourt. I don't have a strong stance had, one way They had or the three other. chances to do that, though. Yes. I mean, they had they were turning guys with the basketball. You had plenty of chances right. to foul them. So uh, do you, you have, have a hard to line? foul? Yeah. You have to foul. I mean, let's every, all the look at analytics in every sport now and everything you look at. What are the percentage chances that if you foul someone with two and a half seconds left in a game, up three, that they are going to successfully hit the first? Miss the second, and in those two seconds, get the rebound. Get the tip in, the rebound, the putback to tie it or take the lead. The only possibility it's much easier that you're looking out for is, well, at least if we don't foul, we're not going to lose the game. Because there is a, I guess, a very small chance you hit the first free throw, you miss intentionally, and then you, it bounces far back, and it goes for a three that beats you. Or you get fouled on the putback. Yeah, but still you're not going to lose that way. I'm just saying that's the only way you lose. Well, I guess an and one situation and one. on the putback, yeah. But I, I just, you have to foul in that situation. I, I, I don't get it. They got away with it. And he got a good look. I mean, it was from very deep, but he knew he hit it. Uh, Reese did right away. We Alabama. saw more of Cronin's dad than we saw of Sister Jean. I, I don't need to see Cronin's dad going forward. I, I'm familiar with him. Well, I don't why know do you, Why do you not want to see his dad? I mean, how many times can I see his dad? Well, how many times can you see Sister Jean? Well, I don't want to see either of them. I want to see the basketball. Well, they show the basketball, but during the breaks, they can show someone else. I enjoyed it. I, I like seeing 
his emotional the response emotion. to everything happening. When the guy had the putback at one place, you could tell he's immediately getting on the defensive end and getting into it. What do you want to see, though? I mean, the, I them just, inbounding I, the ball for I'm a split so second? I'm sick of the human interest story. I just hate it. Look, there's always somebody that's emotionally invested, and I know it's, he's struggling with it, and that's great. It's the same story. It's always the same exact story. It's just that's, a different face. That's what makes sports fun. Uh, I want to see the kid on the bench at least. Show me somebody who's got some sweat in the game. It is so odd, just everything about you sometimes. <laughs> I'm so sick of the human interest part of the NCAA tournament. This is why we watch the NCAA yeah. tournament. That's grandpa. Do you want the all 10 feet of the game, just an overhead <laughs> shot of the other side of the court and the action? I don't have a problem with them showing it. I have a problem with the overkill of them showing it. How many times did they show him during that game? Every time the is over a different under reaction. is 24. I don't need to see him 25 times. It gets tiresome. Who was the good-looking blonde girl for Alabama they kept showing? Was that Nate Oates' daughter? I think so. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell if there was, because I, I didn't watch where they gave clarification, but they kept going back to her. I mean, she was in tears the final 10 minutes oh, of the game. okay, I do know what you're talking Head about. Head down in her palms the whole time. Gym mask. Yeah, she was yeah, just an attractive, blonde, kind of tall. young woman. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I went and looked... <laughs> I did my research on Google. <laughs> I went and looked up Nate Oates' family and tried to see. And he, he did not, post a birthday message creepy. to a young blonde woman, but with the mask, I couldn't see if it was his daughter or I'm going to get grief for not wanting to see Grandpa, and he's creeping on Nate Oates' no, I'm sitting there with old the, daughter. I, I asked Angie the same thing, and I'm like, is this his daughter? Is that the same woman? And we couldn't like tell that? because she had the, the mask on the whole time. Yeah. She so only she demasked so that Chad could creep She doesn't properly. care. We were both <laughs> curious about who it was. Paul, at some point, That's though. That's not creepy at all, by the way. Yeah. If they're going to keep showing a blonde woman, I want to know who it well, is. Well, they should do a better job. So I'm going to look up. Is this should do a better job identifying her. I agree with that. Yeah. If you see the, or do they uh, just find a good-looking girl and they just keep going back to her over right. and over if again? If you see the same five people over and over, you're going to look up and see who's on your TV. Also, group. does it make any sense how the fans are scattered? There's like these huge sections of empty, and then you go up to to uh, to his family, Naoto's family, and there's ten people together. Like, I, I understand that's the family right. or whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just I'm just saying, like, I, I'm saying, though, why are there these huge empty sections? Because they're, they're like, these are the people supposedly you've quarantined with. No, I know, but why can't, why can't they groups. be closer to the court? They're, like, way in the back, and there's nobody for 25 rows. They, I mean, why, does, why do the coaches wear a mask only to take the mask off to yell <laughs> to in the face of a ref? Or the players, or yeah. anyone else. I mean, all of it. You're right. Questions. They're in the rafters. The yeah, they're way the up there. I mean, you sit way up there where the TV view is way better, but we'll let you in. But way up there. <laughs> You're right about that. They, they, the, the view cannot be great <laughs> in the empty arena. By the way, hit us up on Twitter. You can yep. communicate with us there. Paul's going to monitor the YouTube chat, I'm, uh, which I'm, I'm is on. always an adventure, that YouTube until, chat. We'll see how it goes Until one today. of our people gives me all clear, I'm not going back this, here. Uh, to, to prove that someone out there is watching, if you know if that was Nate Oates' daughter or not, if you're an Alabama fan, please let us know because I'm still not sure. I'll show you guys the picture, and you're going to be equally confused because it's tough to tell I up if it's her or not when you see this picture. If you have any further details. We're going to get to the on, bottom of this mystery, though, before the end of the yeah. show. And if you have any further details on Grandpa Cronin, get, keep them to yourself. <laughs> Heb, uh, is that his nickname? Is it Heb? Is he some like famous that. coach or something? Hep? I think Hep. maybe it's Hep. Hep. Yeah, he's uh, 
Xavier High School, St. Xavier, something like that in Cincinnati, legendary high school basketball. You know who he kind of looks like? Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, let's see. AJ on, on YouTube says, Bama sucks. Uh, Patrick, so glad the softening has ended, Paul, they say. <laughs> and then Benjamin says, hard PK. Thank you. Well, uh, let me expand a little bit since they're enjoying it. Here is the, the common human interest story. This is separate of showing somebody in the crowd. This is a uh, ESPN feature piece. Something happened to someone that was hard. Then they overcame it. There it is. I've summed it up for you. How many of these pieces can we watch? The guy hurt his leg. He couldn't run for a long time. Then he rehabbed. It was really hard. He got to know the nurse. His mom came every day. He worked really hard. He had chocolate bar every day with the doctor at 5 o'clock. The doctor stayed late. Then gradually he walked. And, <laughs> and then he played again. It's fantastic. It's the same story every time. Different cast of characters. I mean, are they touching? Some of them are more touching than others. But it's all the same story. Somebody suffered something. Then they overcame it. And now they no longer suffer. If this human interest story had to do with... I saw one yesterday about a girl from Baylor. She had a tough landing. A tough, tough landing. Big practice collision. Tough landing. She was kind of semi-paralyzed from the waist down for a time. She got on a walker at the, at the, in, the, in the hospital. She said, I want to go touch that wall. <laughs> she, she waddled over there. This is terrific. <laughs> she waddled? This was terrific. With the walker and the support of the nurse and everyone in the room, she made it over to that wall. Then she gradually turned around. Then she made it back to her seat. She gradually turned around, and she sat back down. Then it practiced on the sideline, supported by her team, the thing that emboldened and strengthened her and gave her the power. She, she walked on the sideline, and then gradually she lifted some weights on the ground. She did some stretching. And then later. I hope someone's she, just tuning in right doing, now for the story. She was doing some jogging. And then before you know it, she was shooting some layups. And then fast forward, I think it was 38 days. She was playing in a game. I think her name was Desiree. Desiree, it was terrific. I'm glad you're back and you're a key component in the Women's National Tournament. You, like everybody else that's featured in the ESPN feature story, suffered a setback, overcame it, and got back. Terrific. Couple of big headlines here. Now insert here. another name. Couple of big headlines here. One, Paul watching the Baylor women's game, <laughs> which is a shock. It was halftime. Two, if that human interest story was on the terrible U.S. men's national soccer team that can't even qualify for the damn Olympics, <laughs> Paul would be in here weeping about it. If they beat whatever miserable Central American country they probably lost to. Paul would be in here, oh my gosh, did you see the story about the midfielder and how he came back from never, injury? I never come in on the human interest. Oh, you would, I come you in, would in the, in the, uh, the game, the overcoming in the game I like. You're down and you come back, that's the story I want. The, the story of the game. When we come back, a very special new game on the show. Is this Nate Oates' daughter? <laughs> I have visual evidence. If we can get our guys, Lance and Jacob, to turn it around quickly enough, we can post the picture that Nate Oates posted of him and his daughter, and you can decide for yourself, is this Nate Oates' daughter? That's a great game. The fastest-growing game on our show. Also, we will give you the updated odds for tonight's matchup in the regional finals, Oregon State against Houston. 
Baylor takes on Arkansas, and then tomorrow, Michigan, UCLA, Gonzaga, and USC. Stay with us. Outkick 360 here on the Outkick Network. Outkick 360 rolling on here on the Outkick Network. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, hit the alert button, and every day, every day we go live, you'll be alerted to our live broadcast. If you're listening this evening on Fox Sports Knoxville, a big thank you. Uh, and if you see the feed or the podcast on Twitter, give us a retweet at Outkick360. FanDuel.com slash OK360 is the website to go check out. Download the FanDuel app. You can see all of the odds through the app for tonight's matchups. Uh, simple download, quick login, and you see where Oregon State and Houston, uh, where the Cougars are favored by 7.5 tonight. Uh, Baylor, minus 8 against Arkansas. And tomorrow night, Michigan and UCLA, where the Bruins are getting 7.5. Gonzaga favored by 9 currently over USC. All of the odds right now at fanduel.com slash OK360. You get some great benefits by signing up through the slash OK360 link. You know what I want on as all of my basketball crumble? What do you want? Preds. I want on oh, the I do too. Under, <laughs> and you score under five and a half goals oh, total wow. while they won the game. And uh, I That's got a that. That's a very specific bet. Yeah. It was a, a I'm little, not a big NHL pilot. gambler, so I didn't know that was even a thing. But I just took the Preds. It was like plus 200 or 195 to win outright. And they provided. I got like they provided. plus 290 on that double, under five and a half goals and a win. Seven out of eight for the Preds. Um, so we were playing the Nate Oates, is this Nate Oates daughter game. Um, we have for, our, for our viewers, coming. we actually have a video evidence of it. Um, for us, though, guys, you saw it during the break. The conclusion amongst all of yeah. us is that had to be his daughter. In real time, showing, I didn't right? know that uh, yesterday, I'm saying, but. This is the same girl that I, I, Claire went into the room and I said, there's a, there's a girl crying right now as Alabama loses. She was crying for like 15 straight minutes. Yeah. Like once it was close with 10 minutes left, I feel like she was in tears, Very emotional. an emotional wreck the yeah. rest of the game. It's an emotional roller coaster. So I believe that is NATO's daughter. She's, she's pro uh, foul shots. Also, I... Alabama was not. <laughs> I don't know if the Chad... The team she roots for was not profile. I don't think Chad necessarily agrees with this, but because of the Alabama success and the rivalry, Alabama's style of play and their likability is so high for me when I watch the oh, Crimson Tide. Their head coach, I, I would love to play for Nate Oates. I would love for him to be coaching my basketball team. And then all of those players and how uh, the, the athleticism, the deep bench... Um, the different role players that they have. I, I love watching Petty play, even though he's very hot and cold. Um, top to bottom, this is an Alabama team that's easy to root for, and I don't know if the, the last time I can say that Alabama's been easy to root for because they have so much success. They, uh, I agree with you. I, I love Nate Oates. I love his style. I love this team. I love Herb Jones. I, yeah. I, I like the way that the chemistry of the team's made up. Uh, I like that style of doing something with the ball immediately every time you touch it and how fast they play. Um, I, my hatred is for the Alabama fan and the fact <laughs> they get to uh, experience yeah. more and more success. It's not, All these football national championships under Nick Saban's not enough for them. Now they're going to have a basketball powerhouse 
Because I'm here to tell when, you, when, their, in when Alabama, their current team is out of the tournament in Kentucky. Yeah, this is <laughs> really bad for Kentucky basketball's fan base because the Alabama yeah, football. It cut fans. it in half. It cut the fan base in half. All <laughs> Alabama football fans in Kentucky. Yeah. But no, it's it's also it's easy to look at Nate Oates in Alabama and think, boy, they're not going anywhere. This is going to be a power in the SEC. They're going to be back in this spot. They're going to have chances to go to the Elite Eight and Final Four as long as Nate Oates is there. Which, quite frankly, uh, as a Tennessee grad, has me crossing my fingers and praying that the NBA or a bigger job comes calling for Nate Oates. But if you're Nate Oates and Bama's going to pay what they can pay to keep him there, there's not a lot of bigger college yeah. basketball jobs because Alabama, with their success in football and now success in basketball, they can pay whatever they want to keep Nate Oates. So it's, it's not, they're not going to be outbid by anyone. Yeah. Late, uh, late re- regulation. Um, ball goes out of bounds, ruled Alabama ball. Goes through his petty's legs. Mm-hmm. Flicks his, the inside of his shorts. shorts. Long, too long a review. Clearly hits the shorts. But a lot of debate on Twitter. This is not what uh, replays intended for. You know, people naming the father of instant replay, saying <laughs> he's rolling over in his grave. Now, I, I come down on the end, like, if you've got replay and it's intended to get the calls correct, well, then get all the calls correct. It did nip his shorts. They did get the call correct. But a lot of people saying this minuscule kind of thing is not what it's meant to do. It's not minuscule with a minute 54 left should, in, what, a one-point game? Massive possession. Yeah, Alabama was up one at the time. So I we all together Tiger Campbell had just missed yeah. the front end of a one-and-one one for yep. UCLA. Alabama had the ball up one. Minute 54 left. It was the perfect moment for a review because both refs were looking at each other not knowing what happened. If it's 201, though, they don't review Well, it. you they had one that it. thought it was going back to Alabama. You had one that didn't see it bounce off the foot of UCLA that thought he just dribbled straight out of bounds through his legs. I, I think it's the perfect reason for play by for review. It is weird to me. The one thing I'll say is that, what was it, 156? And if it had been 201, they don't review it. Um, so I hate inconsistencies like that, that, that uh, uh, quote-unquote late in the game, it's worthy of a review. But had it been five seconds earlier in the game, that it, it, they, don't, they don't look at it, and it just go, uh, they have to sort it out amongst themselves without looking at a monitor. Um, I don't like the inconsistency. Well, the, the answer that. to that is either no replay or you can't do it all the time. No, because it's too Can small. you imagine if 30 seconds into a game that happened? And they're reviewing that, and then you do it throughout the – I mean, that well, would just take way too long. Why does it take, take them long. so damn long? I mean, we knew on TV within, what, 20 seconds that it clipped his shorts. So what are they looking at that long? I think part of it is they're looking at the clock. Um, they're, they're making sure that the, the scores table is up to date on everything that the scoreboard should be reading. Process needs um, to be sped up. I think it's about as fast as it can go. <laughs> that's they, why you have in the last two minutes and that's it. Yeah. Because it, it would be infuriating uh, if they had that throughout the game. It's already taking forever. The final minute, um, what, what game, was it the Alabama game right, right at the end? Yeah, uh, in overtime. The game's over. And it took nine minutes to play that final minute. They started the Oregon-USC game. Uh, it was five uh, to nothing TNT. when they clipped. Yeah, they went ahead and started it. And it you know, okay, I'm not complaining that they started the game. So late already. But it took nine minutes to play the final 60 seconds of a game that was decided. Quick spinoff. Because spin of the, off. the fouls and everything. I wish 
I wish there was a way to speed that process up. Quick spinoff on the replay thing. It's not a replay thing, but the replay official in the NFL, and this is going to be voted on this week, and, and it looks like clear uh, in, the, in the owners' meeting, the idea that the replay official will have more leeway to just buzz down and tell the ref, hey, that spotted wrong, or hey, his second foot was out of bounds or things like that. Not quite to the eye in the sky degree that we, I think, collectively want. America probably collectively wants. But with some power on a, a broad thing that's obvious. Hey, the clock's wrong here, so let's stop for a second and get the clock right. Or hey, that was clearly out of bounds. Or hey, there's something mechanically wrong. Uh, the, the ball spotted incorrectly. Which is smart use of, of that person in the booth. And I think the general reluctance to give that person in the booth more, and we used to talk about this in our own thing, is this idea that New York is manipulating games sight unseen. We want transparency. This doesn't seem transparent. And all of a sudden people are going to say, hey, Vegas is manipulating games now, and, and we don't know anything about it. Well, it's why Phil it was right. fired so quickly. Because you can't have even the impression that Vegas is manipulating anything. And now that's, that's what everyone's going to have. Well, this should be the most him. obvious of obvious calls, though, where they do this. Yeah. Right. And it should speed things up. You know, Peter King had this morning about just how much they love the three-hour package, mm -hmm. which they should. An NFL game is a three-hour TV show. It's perfect. And when it gets to 312, that's, that is not as neat and tidy. And they like it neat and tidy, and they should like it neat and tidy. I loved uh, going back to Alabama, UCLA, and the ball off the shorts. I love Jim Spinarkle on color commentary, talking about in 1978 when he was at Duke. <laughs> he said it was about three inches shorter, my shorts and tight. He's like, never would have hit that. And I was thinking about the Fab Five era Michigan teams in the shorts of the 90s and how baggy they were. Those shorts would have caught the ball, yeah. right? It wouldn't <laughs> have gone out of bounds. It would have actually served as a background yeah. net and would have caught the ball between his legs, and he would have been able to retain possession. I think Spinarkle, So you could go either way with that argument. Spinarkle and Ian Eagle are nice pairing. Yeah, they're good. Uh, uh, a big props. Uh, I think the uh, CBS and, and TNT, Turner, they do a great job every year. They, they the, destroy yes. ESPN's coverage. Absolutely. I, I, I was on this all year. ESPN, when they went into their homes and yep. weren't live at games, it became this weird comedy routine. Let's talk about everything going on outside of the game and not focusing on the game. In CBS, to their credit, all year they were on site mm -hmm. at games on their on their weekend package, and now with the tournament, I think their their mastery of things like golf and college basketball is so superior to everyone else. And I thought ESPN was very good for years. I really think they just lost their way when they had to go into their their basement to do games, and they're not live there. And Dick Vitale has become terrible, also. But I, I'm with you, Hutton. That Turner, CBS team, great. even Barkley and those guys back in the, the studio, terrific. I still have a little bit of a hard time with the guys back in the studio. I, I, it's an entertaining show, and their interplay Barkley is good. Barkley doesn't do a lot of research. But I, how much are they experts on it? You can only spread yourself so yeah. thin, and they're NBA guys watching NBA Does it constantly. Matter? At, that, at that point, it's all about being entertaining. Yeah, their personality. They're definitely entertaining. That's why they're, Charles Barkley's on every commercial break. Yep. In those commercials with Spike Lee and, and Samuel Jackson. But they're not as versed in these teams as I would maybe like them to be. I need them to know a hell of a lot more about these teams than I do, and sometimes I get the sense that they've watched about as much as I have. Charles 
Anyway. Well, I love Barkley because he's so he just does not care about anything about what someone's going to say about him or think about him. No, he's terrific. And he's you're him. supposed to be, you know, the old journalism of the Capital J. You're impartial. Oh, he's you don't crazy. give your rooting interest. And before that game, he says, "I, I don't care if uh, if Alabama's playing Afghanistan. I'm going for Afghanistan <laughs> in that game." He's like, "I am all in on UCLA." beating Alabama in this game as an Auburn guy, which I love. It's at least refreshing honesty. He's not, he's not That's faking college it. That's sports. He's not faking yeah. it at any point, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, Oregon State taking down Loyola. Killed me and you. Um, a game where they, they deserve a ton of credit. They, they have gone on quite the run since they were picked dead last in the Pac-12. There is still a huge part of me that says this, this luck runs out. And then tonight, can Houston do what Loyola did, which was shoot five of 23 from beyond the arc? Can Houston do what Loyola did, which was not take advantage of a horrible, horrible start for Oregon State, where they barely scored any points in the first eight minutes of the game? Both teams. Good teams put this team away in the first half. And, and to me, they have not faced a team that has come out ready to swing against Oregon State in this tournament. It's a fortunate draw, but they've also made all those teams look I mean, bad. At some point, you gotta I, give I, them I'm with you. Like We were sitting there watching Oregon State dismantle Tennessee, and how many open threes did Santiago Viscovi miss? Open threes. In the, in the first half. and th- There's a lot of luck to it, but at some point when teams keep missing and missing and missing, you're doing something right to either Help want it. them to shoot the open three or the, the right player to shoot it or something. There's something in the water right now with Oregon State and the way they're playing and how they're clicking, yeah. and I, I just refuse to bet against them. For that. They're, they're, they're the, the Cinderella score, Paul, now, right? Reading the, oh, yeah. Reading the box score, Paul, Loyola missed 11 straight shots at one point. 11. And some of these are at the rim. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sitting there going, how, how, much, how much easier can you make it for a team that shouldn't be exceeding to the level we're seeing them. It, and look, I, I know I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here. They deserve credit They're for the run great. that they've been on. They're playing great. They are like 11 and one in the last 12 games against the spread. I mean, if you're in Vegas, you're you're all of a sudden you're betting Oregon State. But I, I'm as you start to look at the teams that they're now going to face, it's hard for me to see where Houston goes on a cold streak, the same level that we've seen Tennessee. Oklahoma State, and Loyola. Houston's a hard team for me to get a, a handle on. Boy, they look great but against they, Syracuse. Boy, against Syracuse, they consistently had a guy in the middle of that zone, not just, you know, a lot of times you'll see somebody get in there and, and touch the ball, you know, to redistribute or whatever. That guy that Houston had fielding the ball there had a plan every time he touched it going to the rim, yep. feeding to, to cutters, whatever. Yeah. They figured it's out that zone better You can't let them collapse people. on you. Yeah. You've got to get it and go when Act you're the point quick. man in the middle of the zone. They were doing the .5 second thing with that guy, yep. and, and whoever was in there was terrific. They figured that thing out, and once they figured that thing out, Syracuse is dead, yeah. right? Syracuse wasn't giving them problems with that at all. Um, so they, they played terrifically well against that, and uh, they deserve a lot of credit. I have this terrible thing where, uh, and you guys know this, I can't wash moments out of my mind for certain teams. So Houston did something, the Rutgers game, I can't get out of my head. 
And so I over I overscore that game for Houston. And no matter what they do after that, I score them down. So what I need to do is just stay away. <laughs> stay the hell away well, from see, Houston. There's a part of me, going back to that Rutgers game for Houston, to me, guys, that's the game that they were able, they got away with. Right. Yeah. right? You usually once get away with it. Once you survive a really bad performance. Su- yeah. If you survive that really bad performance, like that's the baseline now And if you've them. already got it out of your system, you're in good shape, right? Some of these teams haven't had that game yet. Yeah. So it's coming. Well, it's uh, – I also, and I'm blanking on the college basketball writer, but someone had a great observation and said, you know, shout out to Jim Beheim for 40 years now making what is a men's rec league defense look fashionable <laughs> with a 2 3. Yeah. It's what you do when you're tired, right? That's yeah. what you, when you go to play in a men's league game, no one's going man to man. You're just going to sit in a 2 3. Well, and it's what Jim Beheim has perfected. It's a lot better than yeah, a men's oh, rec for sure. And, and, they, and they always have the link to be able to play that 2 3 and, and be effective at covering a lot of different people with it. Um, I just I still don't buy Houston. It's not because of one moment the Rutgers I, game. I, I feel the same way. I just don't. I can't buy Houston now. They don't look Kelvin like Samson's also been accused of a lot of things. Being a bad basketball coach is not one of them, and he has done a remarkable job with this Houston program. I like Oregon State though. I, I really do. Ethan, do you Thompson, like the money line or do you like the? Points? I like. They're a seven and a half point underdog. I think yeah. last check yep. maybe six and a half. I like Oregon State outright. See, I think they're going to the Final Four. I, I take Oregon State in the points, but I'm not I'm not taking the money line on this game. Tonight. I think they're going to win. Ethan Thompson is having a special run, and he's one of those players that he can hit bad shots. He hit some threes against Loyola that was well defended, and he was able to knock them down. Also, I, I really like him. A request nationally tonight: Can we give a national eye roll whenever these broadcasters mention that Oregon State? has reached the regional final for the first time since 1982. But, oh, by the way, that season was vacated. Get that out of here. They're mentioning it because it happened, and it's not some punishment that, you know, they took, they took a banner down. But in 2021, we are referencing a season that was vacated in 1982 as the last time the Beavers made it this far. What's, here's what's crazy is um, it was – they. I feel like it was like 79, they said, was their last win in the tournament. Yeah. So in that first broadcast, remember I referenced that, how yeah, does Oregon saying... State go that long? Right. So the first NCAA broadcast team with CBS would not acknowledge the 82 <laughs> season. And then from then on out, because I heard, oh, they were in the Elite Eight in 82. And I'm thinking, oh, I thought they hadn't won a game yeah. since the, the 70s. The studio shows. And, and, and Gumbel's having to do this uh, because, I mean, technically it's been vacated. It's like dealing with them. But they're like, for the first time since 1982, a season that was vacated. Oregon State has reached the Elite Eight. I'm thinking they reached the Elite Eight. So I don't talk like that about Kentucky. Stop with that. Maybe I'm just weird this way, but when I hear stories like that, I just immediately want to go and Google what Oregon State was doing in 1982 to get a vacation, to have something vacated. (laughs) Was it like a lumber mill uh, controversy where they gave guys fake jobs at a lumber mill close by Corvallis and they were paying them money that way? Was it like 82 – uh, Cutlass Supremes, they were handing players. I want to know what Oregon State hoops was up to in 1982 to warrant having a season vacated. So, Oregon State and the points tonight against Houston. The second matchup tonight, around 9 o'clock Central, 10 o'clock Eastern, tip-off between Baylor and Arkansas, where the Baylor Bears are favored by eight points. The Arkansas Razorbacks, the largest deficits that they've faced throughout this tournament, they trailed by 14 against Colgate. They trailed by 10 against Texas Tech. And in the Sweet 16, they trailed by 12 against Oral Roberts. 
came back to win, of course, all three of those games because of their style of play. But I actually think the style of play of Arkansas fits Baylor much more than what Baylor has already been able to overcome throughout their tournament run against Wisconsin and against Villanova, which slows the pace down. They, they want less possessions. Arkansas wants to pick up the tempo. And to me, that plays right into Baylor's hands tonight. I think that this, is, uh, this has blowout potential. Uh, I really do. I, I think that Baylor could handle Arkansas. And I love the way Arkansas plays. Arkansas a lot like Alabama in that you saw it last night. No lead is insurmountable. No. Right? The way they play, the way they get hot. How many 8 or 11-0 runs were there in that game? On both sides last night with UCLA and Bama, you're going to see that in every Arkansas game where they're going to go on a big run, they're going to surrender a big run. But uh, I'm I'm with you. There's something about this Arkansas team that gives me pause in picking Baylor to roll in this one. But when I look at both teams and the way they play, I think Baylor has the opportunity to suffocate Arkansas a bit in this game. So we, I would I would take Baylor minus eight and Oregon State and the points tonight. Uh, if you're going by my record of the weekend, do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we need through FanDuel.com tonight. Uh, coming up. I can't find anything on why these wins were vacated. A lot of, lot of information oh. on them being vacated, but not. Let's just make it up. I, I like the lumber mill controversy. Lumber there were fake jobs at a lumber mill outside of Corvallis, and that's why they got pinched by the NCAA. Oregon State tonight, can they continue the run? Uh, tomorrow night, Michigan, UCLA, Gonzaga, and USC on the road to the Final Four. Indiana has made a hire. They go with Mike Woodson. We'll discuss that. Plus, the NFL adding a 17th game. We know the schedule. Straight ahead on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 rolls on here on the Outkick Network alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Live from Blackbird Studio in the Blackbird Academy. Studio G in Nashville, Tennessee is where you can find us. TheBlackbirdAcademy.com. For more information, if you're interested in going to school for studio engineering, audio production, uh, and just uh, quality education on all things in studio and on the road, TheBlackbirdAcademy.com for more info. I know you guys are like me and share my great relief. You too as well. The Ever Given is free in the Suez Canal. I thought about you when <clears> I saw that story, Maritime shipping is going to be back to usual in just a few days once all these boats The box get is not blocked there. anymore. I don't understand how that piece of the Suez Canal is so narrow. Like, I would think it's got to be two-way shipping at all times, but clearly it's one-way shipping right there for a boat of that size. I was following this story very closely. This was fascinating to me. I was seeing, I saw that big overhead picture of all of the ships that were just hanging out that couldn't get through. And it looked like a party cove. European vacation. On a lake, right? But it was just huge barges and huge ships that were trying to get through. And I, I, like you, was thinking, how can they all fit in the canal all these ships, and there's one ship blocking something this big. But clearly, there's that small little opening at, at one spot. So, good, good, good news, Paul. And, and you know it's also good it. news for your theme yeah. on the way out of you every stop show. Stop blocking the box. You know what uh, ultimately fixed this thing? Not humanity, but uh, the earth in operation, the tides. The full moon came, the tide rose, and that is what ultimately fixed this problem. Though the dredging helped uh, and the tugboats helped a little bit. I think there'll be children's books written, new tugboat books about the helping. 
Little known fact, uh, Jacob, who works with us, actually hates the environment. He told us that before the show. It was an amazing that, revelation. Could this not be a great episode of something, if not a, a series, about a guy wearing an I hate the environment shirt working at a record store? It, well, like a hippie, the conversation like a hippie this, vegan uh, juice oh, bar God. slash record store also. Fantastic. That's what Jacob Just did. This guy's got a lot of material. Not many people like the Indiana hire, Mike Woodson, the current Nick's assistant. So Brad Stevens and Chris Holtman reportedly turned down the option to take the Hoosiers job. So they go with a former Hoosier who has spent 25 years coaching in the NBA. No college coaching experience. Uh, but the former Indiana Hoosier returns to his alma mater and will be the head coach at Indiana. Um, again, current Knicks assistant, former Knicks head coach, Hawks head coach. He's getting a... Uh... I hate the Mike Woodson hire. Sure, yeah, yeah. To go with his I the, hate the environment shirt. Sure. You know, the, here we go. You know, there there are a lot of people that are pointing to Juwan Howard and his success for a reason why Indiana can have success. The problem with Indiana right now is in-state recruits are choosing Purdue over Indiana, which is you know really something people thought they would never ever ever see. So that's the first hurdle initially. But it starts with his coaching staff. Well, where so Juwan Howard, if you want to point to how he succeeded, he, he's a really good coach. I think he's proven he's himself to be a yeah, great head coach. But work. also, Phil Martelli, hiring him as an assistant was huge. Someone with a lot of head coaching experience. What did Indiana do alongside this? Thad Mata mm -hmm. is going to be. It's, it's a like weird, an associate AD, but it's title. weird. He's associate AD over basketball, and he's also an assistant on the bench. It's almost Mike like Woodson. his boss. <laughs> Well, that's, I mean, sounds like, right? That's a guy who's been to national championship games at, uh, when he was at, at Ohio State, right? Yeah. So, that, to me, if you're looking for encouragement, if you're an Indiana fan as to how this could work out, Indiana's doing the right thing by bringing in a guy with no college experience, but complimenting him with someone with a ton of college experience in yep. Bad Mata. So, I think that part of it was smart for Indiana. It's something we're going to talk a lot of Vandy in our Tennessee hour, but Jerry Stackhouse is the opposite example. He came in thinking he had everything figured out, former NBA star, you know, professional roots as a coach, and didn't hire the assistant with head coaching experience in college. Didn't hire an assistant staff with a lot of college experience. And we see what that's done for Vanderbilt so far. On the flip side, Juwan Howard is the success story. Patrick Ewing, maybe in the middle somewhere. Chris Mullen on the opposite end being bad. So I do like that they hired Thad Mata to go with this. A little confusing about his title. And what all he's doing, it's almost like he's the boss of Mike Woodson, but he's also his assistant. So it's two different hats that he's wearing since he's the AD over basketball, but also his assistant. But I like that part of the hire. I, I guess I could see why Indiana is doing this based on the fact that Indiana has hired a few top flight college coaches from elsewhere and continued to stay in the rut that Indiana has been in. Uh, these people haven't been able to get them out of it. So they're going outside the box to something different. But I, I'm not hearing Indiana fans celebrate um, that, that thinking and the administration catching more heat. Generally speaking, though, the decision to go to an NBA lifer to come in and coach the college program does not work out. Um, you know, you... Or just just having someone without that coach that college coaching experience, not just the NBA lifer. Uh, we're all pointing to Juwan Howard for recency bias, but there are great examples uh, throughout 
the last 10 to 15 years of those that, that have not worked out. Uh, Chris Mullen comes to mind. Avery Johnson comes to mind at Alabama. Uh, th there are others that we could point to. Lon Kruger was back and forth pretty much, right? Uh, yes, but primarily you think of, I think of Lon Kruger as a college, college coach. coach. Um, you know, there, there are. He's a college coach who went to the NBA and then back to college. Yeah, uh, there, there are other examples, but to me, um, it, this is all about the staff he can assemble around him because there, high school kids in Indiana, I don't think, grow up wanting to go to IU right now. Uh, it's, it's a similar focus with some of the top recruits in the state of Tennessee and Tennessee football. Um, they're just not top of mind the way they used to be. And that, that, that is the first hurdle in getting Indiana basketball back to a state where everyone expects it to be. If you're in the state of Kentucky, you still grow up wanting to go and become a Kentucky Wildcat. I don't think it's the same way for the Hoosiers right now. And that's unfortunate. It's a long climb back. But the thing about basketball is it only takes a couple kids. Yeah, you get you know, that the long one time recruiting back class starts and, with yep. with one five star. No, you're you're you can be set with that one guy. And the reason why the the NBA it's not as much coaching style and mentality. I think the job requirements are are much more strenuous for the position of college coach. You know, can you you have to be on twenty four seven? It takes one five star, but then you have to go get another four or five star the following year because that five star is going to the NBA. Yeah, right. It's not a four-year commitment uh, where you know, the NBA draft, you know your team and you control the nucleus, so to speak, of what's going on, unless a guy wants to, to demand to be traded. But it's just different to play at the high level that you're expected to for the Indianas of the world. And I, I think it, it takes a certain mentality in a college coach to never put his phone down. That's tough. Uh, at least at some point in the, in the association, you get to board the flight and you get to relax for a minute. These guys are boarding the flight and they're having to pick up their Wi-Fi and get on and start recruiting. There's, there's just a, a different vibe there which goes to the overall staff. And the yep. reason the Thad Mata connection there is huge for the direction that they're taking. I think it's a great decision to put Thad Mata as an associate AD over basketball. And that's, it, it, you're exactly right. And that's where you have to have those college, proven college staffers or former head coach on your staff because those are the ones who are going to kind of hold your hand as you go through the recruiting process initially until you get things up and running. Eric Musselman, by the way, is another example of a guy who was in the NBA for years, but he had to stop. He went to Nevada first, right? Right. Had success in Nevada for four years, then got the yep. Arkansas job. That's sort of the perfect entry point to hiring someone for a job like Indiana. But it, look, it's I'm not going to say it's a terrible hire because – if they just hired Woodson without Thad Mata, I'd be way against this. But the fact that they're bringing in Thad Mata, it at least intrigues me enough to say, let's wait and see. Paul, this is the end of the hour where we give you the floor. Paul Kuharski is pissed off for greatness today uh, for many things. But at the top of his list is the U.S. men's national team, which I believe for the third consecutive time, correct me if I'm wrong, third, third straight and Olympics. four out of five. Third straight Olympics, we will not see the United States represented in the sport of soccer. Okay, so we got to clarify some things, though. It's not the U.S. men's national team. It's the U.S. men's youth national team because the Olympics is for 23 and under. And the United States is in great shape with players who are 23 and under. Christian Pulisic is, is in that age group. And he plays at Chelsea, one of the best clubs in Europe. Serginho Dentst 
Dest is at Barcelona. And, and Weston McKinney is at Juventus. And we've got a bunch of guys at great clubs. So we're almost punished for being good at that age and sending these guys to these clubs, all right? And two of those guys played earlier in the day against Northern Ireland with the men's national team in a friendly, which was in Europe because our Euro European-based guys were released to play on an international weekend. So it's not a priority, you're saying? Well, it is a priority because we need to get into international tournaments, and the World Cup really is the big, second biggest international tournament. The but everybody, Olympics, yeah, second biggest, Olympics. Yeah. But everybody kind of qualifies for it without maybe their very best, and our very best are very good. But we should be able to win with the guys that we had in this tournament who didn't play with the fire against Honduras yesterday that Honduras played with. It clearly means more to Honduras. We make a huge gaffe then we can't, can't break through. And the thing is broken in, in that, you know, it's, it's us sucking, number one, and repeatedly not finding a way to get through. But it's also the fact that you've got to be released for a month to go to this qualifying thing, and nobody of the quality of the guys that I'm mentioning is getting released for a month to go Olympic qualify. Nobody wants to be released for a month to go Olympic qualify. You're earning your career at Chelsea or, or at Barcelona. It'd be a joke to be released for a month. So you've got to have second-tier guys. Now, MLS, some teams didn't release players. Atlanta didn't release players. Now, that's ridiculous. If you're the domestic league, to not release your players, to go get qualified, your country released for, for the Olympic qualifying tournament. So there's a mishmash of reasons why it doesn't happen. The people who were there are good enough to, to win. You have to get to the semifinals of the tournament to qualify for the Olympics. We failed to do so yet again. And we need to be in that tournament so these guys have what? So that these guys have experience in an intense international tournament so that we could qualify again for the international tournament, the World Cup, so these young guys could have that experience. Whether Pulisic is released to play in the Olympics or not, some guys will be, and it'll be valuable experience. And yeah, we have to put more of a premium on it. And then the big thing is, somebody like me has to fill you guys in on the fact that this isn't our best. These aren't our best people, right? So it's a huge black eye for U.S. soccer because most people think our best guys couldn't beat Honduras' best just, guys to get into the Olympics, I don't which understand, isn't even the case. I don't understand why the mentality for the country is different when it comes to basketball over soccer. In basketball, we will not just put the foot on the throat. We will stomp you out with NBA players, the best players in the world will compete in the Olympics. Is that an Olympic rule? That I, has to I be don't understand under? the yeah. soccer mentality well, soccer, across soccer the collectively does it so that it doesn't overshadow or equal the World Cup. They want the World Cup to be the thing, which I can understand. So this, so is, an, this, this is an Olympic rule, not yeah. an American well, rule. Well, it's a FIFA slash Olympic gotcha. rule to, to make it less than the World Cup. Here's what I don't understand. What, why... Why do these guys go for a day or leave their team to go to Northern Ireland or play a friendly but won't play for the okay, Olympics? Okay, so, well, it's two different pools, right? And you have to be released for the thing. So for the Olympics thing, you have to be released for almost a month, and there's only so much flexibility with that roster. So you couldn't just bring in Pulisic and Dest for this game because you would have had to leave roster space for them because your roster only has so much flexibility. But they just played a game in Austria and in Northern Ireland, 
on a weekend that international soccer stops, uh, 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 leagues, leagues stop for international games. So you go play friendlies with your team, or in Europe, they're playing World Cup qualifying games. So there are built-in pauses in the domestic league calendar. The EPL doesn't play this weekend because all those players are playing international. But that's not accommodating to the Olympic schedule. That's accommodating to the World Cup schedule. It's a whole mishmash thing. But, so, what you, what do you do Olympic time? You root for the women. And the women, it's not an age thing. The women, it's the second biggest tournament to, to the World Cup. Uh, very unfortunate. Pulisic's over my shoulder there. He scored a penalty shot against Northern Ireland. We look pretty good. We're very young and promising across the board. It should not be a problem, though I would have said this last time around, for us to qualify. Also, bad coaching. Uh, for the Olympic side. Look forward to watching Afghanistan against Peru in the Olympics while yeah. the United States watches from home. I've got, I've got a lot of other questions <laughs> that I want to ask at some point. We'll cover it off. I, isn't every country that's better than the U.S. also young and promising in soccer? Are oh. they that much better, younger than these other countries? Honduras doesn't have 23 I'm not talking about Honduras. I'm talking about actual good countries when you get into the World Cup level. Like, I'm pretty sure Brazil is also young and promising. Germany, young and promising. Yeah. Netherlands, young and promising. Sure. I just want, I would love, I'd love to get right to now. a point where the young and promising for the U.S. is equal to those great soccer countries. Well, a lot of these guys can also play at home or close to home, and our best guys are playing overseas. Coming up, the Tennessee Power Hour. Hour number two includes Vanderbilt with an announcement earlier today about a $300 million facilities project. We'll tell you what's important and what raises an eyebrow with their announcement. Plus, we get to a variety of topics across the state of Tennessee. The Preds continue their winning streak, and we get to Vols spring practice, some news and notes from the weekend. Straight ahead, OutKick 360. Stay with us.